Well, good evening. Welcome. My name's Liz Gray, and I'm Rector here, and I'm very delighted that you are here worshiping with us this evening. We're in week four on a series on Colossians, and we're going to be talking about that in a moment. But I do hope that at the end of the service, you're going to stay for snack luck, as we now call it, followed by some games, unless you're rushing off to watch some other game. But I do hope you'll stay, because um, playing games with friends is always such fun. And my husband Simon and I love playing games, and we have this uh, family who we quite often get together with on an evening and we will, we will play some games. And, and one of the things that I really appreciate is that the, games of, the rules of games are always so straightforward, aren't they? I mean, take Monopoly. Okay, who has not seen a game of Monopoly end in tears? I mean, honestly. Um, I, the, I personally think that if you land on free parking, you should get the money in the middle. I mean, that's a good rule, isn't it? I mean, it turns out it's not in the rules, but hey, it's a great rule and we all should play by it. Uh, or Scrabble. I mean, again, Scrabble feels like a really safe game. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? You know, you eat. But uh, a while ago, we learnt uh, like a family rule, which was if you get three or more vowels of the same kind, so if you land up with five E's on your, on your little tile thing, you can switch them. And it makes the game so much easier and so much more fun, in my view, because having five E's can be really depressing. But again, if you play with somebody else who doesn't have the, the, the vowel rule, they can get really miffy when you start kind of wanting to switch out the tiles and have your, you know, your own thing going on. So recently we were playing games with these friends, and I thought, okay, we've had quite a few arguments with them over the years. They're very opinionated. We, of course, are not. Um, <laughs> but uh, I thought, okay, what's a really safe game that we've never played with them? Mahjong. Mahjong. I mean, the rules in Mahjong, they're so clear, aren't they? You just play by the rules. I, we've played Mahjong for like... 40 years, it's, it's easy, straightforward. All my days. Th turns out I was wrong. Um, there are ways of interpreting the rules, there's differences in the rules, there's, there's even different rules. Uh, and, and so, um, yet again, we landed up with an evening which was delightful, but perhaps not as calm as it could have been. <laughs> and so playing by rules is, is kind of an interesting, an interesting thing, and we'll see what happens in the games room after church. Um, I hope we're all still friends after it. But, um, <laughs> Last week, we were in the first part of Colossians chapter 2, and we were kind of meditating on this phrase, the mystery of God. This idea that God had revealed himself to the Jews and, and to Israel, and he'd sort of set them up as, as almost like a, 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 an, in, let me think of a word, a kind of an integral group. And there were insiders and outsiders. And really, he gave them a whole ton of rules. There were stacks of rules. They started off with the Ten Commandments, but as time went on, they got more rules. They got rules for what to eat and drink, rules for medical emergencies, rules for what was clean and what was unclean, rules for what to do if you become unclean and you want to be clean, rules for worship, how you worship, who worships, where you worship, rules for the temple, who can go where, what's going to happen, Rules for sacrifices. What kind of sacrifices are you going to bring? I mean, even with the presentation of the temple that we just read a second ago, there were rules, rules that needed to be followed to allow the people who were in the inside to worship God. Rules for Sabbath. So many rules governing every aspect of their behavior. And even the sign of the covenant, circumcision, was an external rule. And when you think about the Jews, they were really famous for two things. They were famous for keeping the law, and they were famous for the men in the community having male circumcision. What made the Jews the Jews? The law, circumcision. Those two things together pretty much summed it up. 
And certainly, these two things gave clarity to their community, gave certain boundaries. And when you think about the world of the Colossians, it was a chaotic and uncertain world even at that point. And as people were wondering what to believe and where to believe, sometimes it's kind of reassuring to go somewhere where there are rules, where you can just do the stuff, and then you're going to be fine. It's going to be all right. And so Paul is beginning to argue, though, that the rules had been superseded, that when Christ came, there was this whole seismic shift. And really, to a large extent, the whole book of Colossians is just taking these people gently and carefully through that story. He's reminding them that the death and resurrection of Jesus has changed everything, and that it both removes and repudiates the need for the old rules, and it opens up a whole new way of thinking and being. And what we'll get all the way through the book is that he keeps also coming back to that beautiful Christ poem that he wrote in what we think of as chapter one. And so there are hints of that all the way through our reading for today that Megan read so beautifully. So Jesus brings a whole new paradigm. And so Paul starts his argument in this passage by first reminding his readers that the fullness of the deity rests in Jesus. In that verse, for him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. There's that reminder again. Christ died. You are in Christ. And by baptism, we identify with that. And then we are raised to life inside Christ, starting with Christ as the head of this body, the body connected to the head, which is rooted and grounded and growing. Jesus, the head of all rule and authority. So what does that mean for all those previous rules, all the other rules which the Jews had come to live by? Well, I think what Paul is arguing is that when we step away from all those rules and we step into this body of Christ, we step into a different kind of relating. We step in as children of a heavenly father. And as heirs of the kingdom, we carry with us, then we, we accept at that point, responsibilities. Being in a family always has fantastic rights. You have rights in your own family. You have rights in the family you belong to. But with rights, when I was a high school teacher, I used to say this all the time to people, when you have rights, you have responsibilities. We have responsibilities and privileges. Being in the family always has those two things alongside with you. So what then happens to all those rules? Well, they either get rejected or they get redeemed and transformed into something completely new. And so Paul starts off with perhaps the most obvious one, circumcision, a sign for male Jews to identify with their religion. Paul says it's gone. No more circumcision. No more will physical external circumcision be the entry point to God's family. It's been completely superseded by baptism. And so he begins with that radical forgiveness offered on the cross, which we can all physically identify with through baptism. 
Baptism is available for all believers. It's not just the men this time. Everyone, Jews, Greeks, South Africans, Germans, Brits, children, babies, infants, we all get to be accepted into this process of baptism. Slaves, free people, men, women, eunuchs. Another sign that this new kingdom of God was being radically more inclusive than Judaism. What's required is that we believe in God and ask for the forgiveness of the cross. Then we can be baptized. All we need to do is identify with Christ's death and his resurrection, either uh, through being dunked or being splashed. We say, I die with Christ, and I then want to be raised with Christ. And one of the interesting things as I've been thinking about baptism is the reminder that it's, that it's very quick. You go down, you come up, you get splashed, you get dried off. Nobody can tell what's, what it is from the outside because the change is internal. Now, if you're here tonight and you've never been baptized and you believe and love Jesus, then come and talk to me because it would be fun to baptize you at Easter. Um, it would be lovely to have that happen. And if you're baptized and you're not quite sure that if you're really understanding what it means to be forgiven... Why not go to the prayer at the cross after the service? Ask for someone to pray with you to understand that more. Because baptism is that internal sign of our acceptance of the forgiveness offered by Jesus. And as Jesus died, then Paul goes on in verse 13, You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh... God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Again, Paul is telling the young Christians in Colossians, as he's telling us now, he's reminding us that that debt is paid, that every time we do something wrong, a spiritual debt is incurred, and it has to be paid. There is that balance. But as we go to baptism. It means we're no longer living by those old rules. We've stepped into this role as sons and daughters of the living God, taking up our rights and responsibilities. And you know, those responsibilities, they're something which we can so quickly cede or give away. And I was thinking again about the way when we get stuff wrong, we're kind of relinquishing things. We're relinquishing our power as inheritors of the gospel. We're relinquishing our power as children of God. We're relinquishing our power as we give up on some of our responsibility. And so when we deliberately hurt someone, we're kind of ignoring our responsibility to be kind. When we break a law, we're giving up on our responsibility as children of the king to integrity. When we lie, we're giving things up. We're giving up the opportunity to be truth-tellers. When we misuse our sexuality, we give up our responsibility to be wholesome. When we abuse our power, we give up our responsibility to shepherd others with love. And what is more, Paul references this as well, there are negative spiritual powers which kind of tempt us into that all the time. They're encouraging us to give up on our responsibilities. There are powers which delight in that. They take them from us with greedy speed. N.T. Wright frames this in terms of the power we have and names the ones we give it to. And he says this, What went wrong was that human beings gave up their responsibility for God's world and handed their power over to the powers. 
When humans refuse to use God's gift of sexuality responsibility, they hand over that power to Aphrodite and she'll take control. When humans refuse to God, use God's gift of money responsibly, they hand over that power to mammon and he will take control and so on. When the humans take over, the powers take over, human beings get crushed. But as both Tom Wright and Paul add, the cross didn't defeat the power of Christ. The cross defeated the powers. In verse 15, Paul says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is another image which would have been very familiar to the Colossians because when a general had won a victory, they would come marching into town before the days of kind of Instagram or BBC News. They would march down into town with their army following behind them and they're all the prisoners of war and the booty. And the defended, defeated leaders and generals and kings being brought in shackles and shame down the high street of the town. And Paul uses this very same image to say that what happens to the powers of evil on the cross. They get shackled and put in the procession of victory of Christ. This brilliant plot move that Paul talks about, that even as evil thought that they were defeating Christ on the cross, in order to remove him from the scene, God's plan transcended, replacing and redeeming Satan's plan. Christ has indeed broken the grip of the enemy. And so those powers of mammon and sexuality and prejudice and arrogant pride are stripped of their essential power. Jesus brings all of our, what we are, our sexuality, our differences, etc., into fullness through him. And he wants us to live in alignment not with a set of external rules, but with an internal alignment that comes with your recognition of who you are as an heir of the kingdom. As baptized believers, we move from external rules to an internal alignment with Christ. This doesn't mean you get to avoid all the rules of the road and the external rule of law we have around us, but it says our motivation comes from inside us. And Paul then goes on, and he talks about the ways that these powers and rulers, these disarmed but still active powers and rulers trying to manipulate us. When he said, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, they are a shadow of the things to come. The substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in details about visions, puffed up without reason by sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Don't give up on the role that you have as being a part of that organic body of Christ. Don't give up on the, rule, the authority which comes and the power which comes from our responsibilities as heirs of Christ, as children of a living God. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about how those shadowy voices try and trick and, and pull us into different ways of living by new rules, rules which we don't need to live by. And so this week, I'm going to invite you to do a little homework. We're going to have a little bit of quiet in a, in a moment or two. And I'd like you to begin to think about some of your behaviors. What are the things that you do day by day, week by week, 
where you feel that you are being kind of coerced into certain forms of behavior by rules that come from outside you, by rules that come from our culture, or by the pressures of your friends, or by the pressures of the people around you, by the pressures of the politics that surround us at the moment, by the pressures of the arguments and debates which are live at the moment. What are the rules that you're being forced or encouraged to follow which are not Christ's rules? Where do you need to disengage from the world and re-engage with being somebody with responsibilities to Christ? Perhaps you could come during the time of quiet and invite the Holy Spirit to cut the lies and ties and reveal to you instead the beauty of the responsibilities which come with your position. I invite you when you come to the table later to deliberately lay down any false rules, any false expectations that you are <coughs> governing your behavior by. And then to eat and drink as we remember forgiveness as we remember who we are, as we remember that as we walk out, we walk out of here as heirs of the kingdom, exercising our responsibilities. And again, there's people praying at the cross at the end of the service. Go and get prayer for something. If it's bothering you, if you feel like it's too much for you to do on your own, get somebody to pray with you. And then just rejoice. Be thankful. You are sons and daughters of the living God, and we can be thankful that we are not trapped by the rules and expectations of others. The Eucharist means thanksgiving. It's always lovely that we finish our service on that high note of just delighting on the gift that God has given us, that he gives us the gift to know freedom in Christ, to behave and live so differently, and to step up to the responsibilities we have of being in the body of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know, each one of us, that there are places in our lives when we are tempted to cede our responsibilities, when we don't stand up as children of the living God, when it seems easier to just give in, to not speak out, to not fight for justice, to not look for integrity in situations, when it's easier to soothe and comfort ourselves with immediate fixes rather than looking for what you would seek to say to us if we came crawling up onto your lap and said, Dad, will you speak to us? Will you soothe the sore places in our lives where we've been bruised and broken? Will you remind us of what it looks like to be a son and daughter of God? Will you remind us of the privileges we have as your children? And then, Holy Spirit, will you teach us, will you encourage us as we step out into places where we experience conflict, where we don't always recognize that we're giving in to rules that aren't yours. Will you help us this week to be very alert, to listen carefully to your voice as you teach and lead and guide us so that we might be worthy inheritors of the kingdom of God. Amen.